Life is hard. Life with chronic, critical, and complex health concerns is even harder. We all know someone who is struggling with health issues or disability. It might even be you. And in the pain and suffering, we wonder if it's possible to move from surviving to thriving. We struggle to hope, struggle to persevere, struggle to trust that God knows what He's doing. But in the struggle, there is real hope, and it's possible to be rooted and ready to weather the storm. Welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to the Blue Stem Project Podcast. It's good to be here with you, and it's my sincere hope that by listening, you're better equipped and encouraged for the journey of suffering, hardship, and trial that comes with health issues and disability. And it's also my prayer that you're drawn closer to God and rooted deeper in His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, today we're going to talk about something that has been on my heart for a number of months and has ministered to me in some pretty powerful ways, and I believe will be of great benefit and help to you. It is pretty common uh, in our culture to hear people talk a lot about what we think on and how we think. Uh, There's a lot of self-help gurus who will push this and talk about this and thinking positively. And in the scriptures, uh, God does tell us to meditate on certain things. In Philippians 4.8, it says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about such things. So what we think about, obviously, has a great effect on us. But there was a verse that really hit me about six months ago pretty powerfully, and it is in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 3, where it says this, Consider him, it's referring to Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I initially thought pretty quickly that, you know, most or pretty much all cultures have heroes or people that they hold up, uh, that they look to for encouragement, for strength, but also to emulate, to say like, hey, we, this, is, this person or this um, individual is someone that we from this country or this town or this city or this ethnicity look up to and want to emulate. They're the best of us. And usually, if you think about it, These type of heroes overcame great trial or suffering to get to this point. And we look to them and love them for that. You know, a couple examples that come to my mind are General Washington at Valley Forge or crossing the Delaware during the Revolutionary War. I think of, you know, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball or Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, There's, right, we could go on and on and make an incredible list. But what I hope... To do in this episode and also for us a number of episodes afterwards. In other words, I want to do a series on this. My prayer is that you will desire to think more deeply on Jesus as a means of strength and hope as well as worship. Again, Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, the context of that passage is that uh, the Hebrews who are being written to, who have believed in Jesus as their Messiah, are experiencing different degrees of persecution from other Jews who have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And so they're growing weary and faint-hearted, actually, in keeping the faith, in keeping on the journey. And so the, the call is to remember, hey, Jesus endured from sinners incredible hostility. And while that's the immediate context is falling away from the faith because of persecution, 
we can honestly move away from God in part or totally and completely when we suffer and when we have hardship. You know, health issues are incredibly hard. And I know there's quite a spectrum of what that could be, but it's painful. And even if, you know, right now I'm in a personal period of pretty good health. But, you know, I know enough that eventually that's going to come to an end. Like I'm going to face some medical hardship in life. Uh, the death rate is still holding strong at 100% last time I checked. And we can prepare ahead of time, even if we're not in the midst of the flames of affliction. And in fact, I think being prepared ahead of time is really helpful for when the flames really get tall. So here's what I would like to do. First, let me just give you kind of the main point of the passage. This would be a, a line to consider or think about, remember, going forward. But that considering Jesus gives us strength, endurance, and hope for the journey. So I want to read and unpack more than just Hebrews 12.3. I want to unpack the surrounding verses. And I heard a tip a number of years ago about reading the Bible. It said this, uh, never read a Bible verse, read a paragraph at least. Right, because we can make errors when we don't take things in their larger context. Meaning in language moves from larger to smaller units. So let me just read the first few verses of Hebrews 12, 1 to 4. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So this passage starts with the word, Therefore. Therefore, what preceded it is important for us to know. So let me point you there. So here's what happens in the preceding chapter in Hebrews 11. Uh, A great cloud of witnesses is referred to. You could call this the Hall of Fame of Faith uh, if you wanted to. These are people who, by trusting God, did great things. And by looking at them, we learn something about the nature of faith itself. uh, And also, we have some heroes to emulate. And this is going to ultimately culminate in saying, Let's focus especially on Jesus, which is uh, what our verse 12, verse 3 says. And we learn a few things in chapter 11 that I think are helpful to point out. Because God gives a direct explanation of what faith is and what it does. So here's, here's what biblical faith is. This is chapter 11, 1 to 3. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, so faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This isn't blind faith, this isn't throwing your brain out the window, but it is trusting, especially in the word of God and the works of God, that they are true, what God has said he has done has actually happened. And we get one specific example in these verses, God saying like, he created the universe by his word or it's called being or creation ex nihilo. There wasn't something already there. It wasn't matter already there. God said it, and it came into being. And then also, in verse 7, it says this about what faith does. 
Here's verse 7. It says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So it's assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen, and it pleases God. And then there's this, as I mentioned, a hall of fame of different people who lived by faith that really pleased God and that are examples unto us. Let me, I'm going to, I'm going to pick a few of them out instead of reading the entire chapter. And yeah, just give you a little bit of a picture of who these people are and what they did. So here's an example of Abraham, which is in 11 verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. All right, his wife Sarah is mentioned in verse 11. It says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. All right, in verse 23, it talks about Moses' parents. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The next few verses talk about Moses himself. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. It says right after that, it talks about the people and their faith by crossing the Red Sea. It says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And further, it mentions, you know, he, the, that the author doesn't have time to go into Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. But they also accomplished quite a list, and God puts it down for, for us. It says, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So before we seriously consider Jesus, and the author of Hebrews tells us to in 12 verse 3, he's just brought us through this extensive listing of others who through faith did great things and pleased God. And he gives their example and then gives an exhortation to us in the latter part of verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. So let me unpack a little bit more of Hebrews 12, verse 1, where it says this, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here our our life and our journey is likened to a race, right? And races have prizes and rewards. People can quit races. Races are hard. And honestly, listener, our suffering, your medical hardship, is a part of your race. It's not just a, an aberration or an accident in God's eyes. It's a part of your race. And because God is in control and he's sovereign, that really endows our suffering with incredible transcendent meaning and purpose. So this race that you're in with its trials has meaning and purpose. Now, the predominant worldview that we Americans find ourselves surrounded by, you could call it naturalism, uh, naturalism has a failure to provide ultimate meaning and purpose on a transcendent level to the sufferer because all of these things are just random, right? Like in the naturalistic worldview, kids die of cancer, you die of cancer, and none of it really matters. No one's behind it. There's nothing to come out of it. The only thing that can come out of it is whatever you 
try to make out of it. But as human beings, we lack the ability to create a transcendent level of meaning and purpose. We can only do it in the short term and in small things in small ways. So we run a race. Races have rewards and prizes. People can quit races. And I want to encourage you not to quit. And especially when I say that, to not quit on trusting God and walking with him through the fires of your affliction. So we run a race and it says to lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely. Let me just maybe unpack, like, what is it? What does he mean by weight? Well, I would say this, a weight can be something that is inherently good, but can drag us down or hinder us from running the race. So here, here's an example. Okay, in Mark 10, uh, 42 to 48, there's a blind man named Bartimaeus, and he ends up calling to Jesus for mercy, and some of the people around him actually rebuke him. And Jesus responds and asks him to come over. And what the text tells us is that Bartimaeus springs up and throws off his cloak to come to Jesus. And he goes to Jesus and he's healed by him. So he obviously recognized, hey, hanging on, to, and, and remember, he's blind. So he has great faith in Jesus to heal him. But for him to get to Jesus, this cloak is in the way. So he's going to throw it off and go towards him. And so a weight could even just be, you know, a hobby perhaps that takes up too much time and energy, you know, from meeting with God each week or being a part of his purposes or his desires for you. It doesn't mean the hobby's bad, but at some point it can get a little, you know, become a bit too much. A weight could be staying up late and just uh, watching TV or scrolling on your phone and it leaves you a little more tired and with less ability and willingness to spend time with the Lord the next day or to just do your job well or, or walk well. That could be a weight. Now let me move to the sin, which he says clings so closely. And we are told to really take radical action against our sin. So this is Colossians 3, 5 to 6. It talks about putting to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So when I worked with college students for a number of years as the initial starting point for my ministry, we took this verse or these verses and applied it in a pretty unique way. We actually had some of the guys when we were doing like a men's time, uh, we set up, and this was within safe relationships, an opportunity for them to confess their sins to us. And based on what they confessed, for some of them, we would actually take like milk jugs or water bottles filled with sand and we taped them to their arms and to their legs and or maybe perhaps taped their arm you know like an arm behind them and then what we told them was that okay all of you guys and we had like 30 or 40 guys uh we're gonna hold a bar up about six feet high yeah maybe it's five feet high and you guys all have to get over the bar and it was a powerful learning experience because here in one sense because guys have encumbrances, helping them climb up and over this bar was hard, but also taught a lot of teamwork, like, hey, and being compassionate to one another uh, with our burdens and our weights and our sins to help get over. It was incredibly powerful to watch and to see guys realize, you know what? Like there are weights 
and sins in my life that hinder me from running the race as well as we could. So let's move to verse two, where it says, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and we're to throw off that weight and sin and run the race. And then verse two says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, so we learn a few things about Jesus here. One, he is called the founder and perfecter of our faith. So he's the founder, he's the captain, he's the originator, the one whose example we are to follow. He's the perfecter, and I think we could point out two meanings from that word. One, he's our sacrificial offering or our righteousness. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he's our perfect righteousness. When a person comes to Jesus and repents of their sins and places their faith in him as the only sufficient Savior for the penalty and over the power of their sins, uh, God credits Jesus' perfect life, his perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience to the Father and to the law, to your account when that happens. And all of your sins are credited or you could say imputed to him and he pays for them on the cross. So he is our sacrificial offering or our righteousness, and he's a perfecter. He's our example. And this example for us becomes so personal that it isn't just external, although it is that. We do follow him and do what he does, but there's also an internal relevance to this. So in Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's our founder, our perfecter. And it says that he looked ahead to the reward of joy while going on this incredible suffering journey of the cross. And I want you to think for a second. That I want to point out, we're going to be looking to Jesus and considering him in future episodes. But I want to do this a little bit right now on what enduring the cross really meant and what it was. So I want you to think about this reality. Crucifixion was a really chaotic endeavor. Okay, there's high emotions. There's screaming, crying, raging, fast movements, uh, darting, uh, physical brutality to keep order. You can imagine the soldiers that are carrying this out and their profanity and the use of physical force that they're needing to use to to bring this about. I was reading some historical accounts of crucifixion, and the victims of crucifixion were terrified beyond comprehension. And they would even develop like a kind of insanity, realizing what was coming. And if you really put yourself, if you really understand what crucifixion was and what it did, and you knew this was coming, I think that would be pretty normal to develop a kind of frenzied insanity. And the people back in Jesus' time and Jesus they were familiar with what crucifixion was. Now, this was carried out by the Romans. A lot of people would have seen crucified victims and seen crucified people. Some historians said that often crucifixion victims had to be driven like wild animals with a prod or a whip. And on some occasions, they would have to literally tie them up and drag them because the horror of the whole thing created such a frenzy. Now, a number of years ago, I was visiting my in-laws uh, in Poland. My father-in-law was helping manage a 3M plant over there. And while we were there, uh, they took us to the Nazi concentration camp, Auschwitz. 
and took a personal tour. And there was incredible deception about what went on there that was the opposite of what happened at a crucifixion. So people were said, hey, you're going on a train for resettlement. When you walk into Auschwitz, there's a sign that says, albeit mocked fry, which means work makes you free. It's totally a lie. Uh, One of the other concentration camps called Treblinka was disguised as a transit camp for deportation further east. It had like made up train schedules and a fake clock and name of destinations, ticket window, like even flowers. And the guards would talk, you know, calmly, hey, you're going to go take a shower, you know, put your clothes over here. We'll remember where they are. Uh, Total lie, because then they would just hurry them into the gas chambers. Yad Vashem summed it up this way. that Nazi Germany managed to mislead the masses until literally the last moment. And a crucifixion scene had no such deception. And here's what I find almost beyond belief or comprehension, is that Jesus went willingly. So while all these other crucifixion victims go into a frenzied insanity, he knew this was a part of his race, what the Father had asked him to do. He knew it was necessary to pay for sins and save sinners. And so he went willingly. We're told actually in Isaiah 53, 7, that like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and apparently I've never slaughtered lambs or seen this done, but a a sheep goes totally quietly and willingly. Doesn't know what's going on, just goes. It's like a lamb that's led to slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And he goes willingly to endure the greatest suffering and pain anyone on earth has ever experienced. Because for Jesus, it wasn't just the physical horrors of crucifixion. It was also that he was made to be sin, and the wrath of the Father poured out for sin upon him that was going on internally, or soulfully, you could, you could say. So our passage, passage says that he endured the cross, and it says he despised its shame. There was, there was an emotional torment that was built into crucifixion for the purpose of causing as much emotional turmoil and pain on top of the physical pain as possible. And they did this, one, by crucifying people naked. So the very Son of God is crucified naked in front of the, the world to see. And right, his arms and hands are nailed outwards. He can't do anything to cover himself up. And he's also being crucified as a criminal. So this is like the worst type of punishment, the the top cultural method that the Romans had for humiliation. In fact, it was so bad that if you were a Roman citizen, that meant you could never be crucified. They said, nope, this is only for the outsiders and the worst of the worst of the outsiders. And Jesus is naked. He's crucified as a criminal. There's incredible shame with this. His mother is there and some of the other women who have followed him. And he despised its shame. He, he said, you know what? I'm, it's going to feel shameful. It's going to be shameful. I'm despising it and I'm enduring and I'm going through it. And then he has the reward where it says he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus ran his race victoriously. He succeeded and he's seated at the highest place in all of the universe. Like in Ephesians 1, verse 20, it says this, 
that the Father had seated him, meaning Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So we come to verse 3 now where it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So consider, like, by way of comparison with yourself, is it is it honestly a pretty good way to do this considering? To think through, what is what do I perceive as my journey? How hard is it? What, you know, in this context, what medical hardship and suffering am I going through? And I and looking to Jesus and saying, you know what, he he really did have it worse. No one was more innocent, and and put through more suffering than Jesus of Nazareth. So by way of comparison, can be a helpful way to think about this, not to maybe minimize your pain wrongfully because you have real pain and we shouldn't just minimize it or, or throw it away, but we can recognize like, no, this is real. This is tough. This is brutal. So we can compare, but then also just to like actually take the time to think over, consider and ponder Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility. I think of hostility as, right, like gainsaying or contradiction or opposition or rebellion that really springs from a hateful and evilly motivated heart, right? Hostility is personal. Like you, you wouldn't say, you know, the ship at sea in a hurricane was facing some type of personal hostility. Well, you could say the environment was hostile to it, and that would be a correct use of the word. But in this case, right, he's enduring from sinners, such hostility. So it's very personal rather than impersonal. And right, there's a unique pain in hostility. It's it's reasoned out, it's planned, it's put together. Uh, last summer, I took my son Brody and a couple of his friends and their dads, and we did a little canoe trip. And we had some bug spray that was 100% DEET. So if you know anything about bug spray, that's a really high percentage of this chemical. And my son was going to spray some on the side of one of his friend's faces to help him out. And I don't know if the, I don't know if his friend didn't know he was going to do it or didn't close his eyes or whatever, but he got some in his, in his eye and the pain that hit him was like a wave. And he, he was in excruciating pain. And we, we knew and honestly knew like my son wasn't trying to actually hurt him, but imagine for a second, if he really had thought that out and purposefully sprayed that in his eyes, that would be a type of, of real hostility towards his friends. So we look to Jesus, we think deeply about the hostility he faced, and in so doing, it helps us to not grow weary or faint-hearted. Recall the imagery for a second of running the race in verse 1. Well, how do we run well? Well, we look to Jesus, we consider what hostility he faced, we know that racers get tired and weary, but that in this race, looking to Jesus helps us not to grow weary or faint-hearted. We're encouraged to not quit the race by looking at his example. You may have the cancer diagnosis, uh, you may have something even, even worse or harder, right? Don't apostatize, don't walk away from Jesus. Don't Look at this race that you've run with God and then, and then quit. 
Don't doubt God's goodness or his sovereignty. Don't forget his reward. Jesus looked through the suffering of the cross to future joy. Be like that. It says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There, there is special and unique joy that comes from enduring suffering and pain and hardship well. Meditate on that. Look at that. And then finally in verse 4 it says this, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is another way that we can consider ourselves with Jesus. His, again, his example is so extreme in resistance of temptation and sin that it, it brought him death and death of the worst kind. You know, when you give in to temptation, you actually don't feel the full effects of the weight of the temptation because you give in. And Jesus did not give in. He felt the full weight. And his struggle went all the way to shedding his blood. And you and I have not done that. And we can look at him, the Savior, in awe and in, with a worshipful heart for doing so and ask him to grant us that same strength that he had to help us in our time of need. So I had mentioned at one point that the main issue that the Hebrews who were receiving this letter were facing was to turn away in unbelief because of persecution for their faith. But right, I also read in chapter 7, it says, and without faith it's impossible to please God. So brother and sister, if I can urge you, keep the faith. Trust God. Trust that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Trust that your suffering is not outside of his plan and that he has the power and ability to carry you through if only you'll put yourself in his arms. I think elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Be careful. Don't let your hardship lead to an unbelieving heart and lead you to fall away from the living God. So here's where we're going to go in the next few episodes. We're going to look at some of the type of people who opposed Jesus and the types of opposition that they gave, and in so doing, strengthening our hearts for the journey. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bluestem Project. It has been a pleasure having you. If I can remind you, the reason the Blue Stem Project exists is to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. It would be an honor to take this journey with you. Please do hit the subscribe button and tell a friend or family member experiencing health issues and medical disability about the Blue Stem Project. Music